1: They can't just like try to engage in a new friendship without someone wondering like do they just want to sleep with me that's not mm-hmm. right. what's happening
2: that's yeah that's-
1: exactly
2: everybody listening who I <laughs> hang out
1: with okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm ducking out you're out let's duck out together see where it's all
2: Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast that's weirdly attached to Ellen DeGeneres, allegedly. I'm Carolyn Bergier. I'm Melody Kamali, and today we're diking out with sex therapist Casey Tanner
3: about non-monogamy.
2: Well, well. It, it's unfair of me to say that the whole podcast is weirdly attached to Ellen because the accusation was tied to me. I famously <laughs> do not read the... Uh, Apple podcast reviews that I beg for every week. I'm begging you to leave them and I'm not reading any of them. And I am addicted to them.
3: (laughs) So you can imagine my surprise when I saw the most recent one (laughs) alleging that Carolyn is obsessed with Ellen DeGeneres, a quote unquote, weird attachment. Three stars. This person's clearly listening and very far behind i think they're on episode 130 something because they also say to skip the news segment which we haven't done in a long time we got rid of
2: that right right and you read me the entire review <laughs> before this which we're going to spare you people can look it up while they're leaving a five-star review to counter it um, stop by You can read read the review and it was like somebody was assigned to write a like critical theory paper about the podcast. Like That's how it reads. It's really (laughs) dissecting us, which is so gay. And I appreciate the the level of thoughtfulness and care that went into it. And uh, I just love because I do not feel like a lot of my comments and they note this about Ellen is that. I'm not really attached to Ellen. It's something we talk about because she's a central figure in the community, or at least was for a long time. This person wants us to not talk about toxic white women at all. Just n- pretend that Ellen doesn't exist. Yes. Uh, like I'm, I wouldn't particularly say I'm, I'm a fan, but it's, it's a hu- it's a thing. Ellen's a thing. Yeah. So we can't really avoid it. I don't know. Maybe I just can't let it go. I yeah. can't let Ellen go. I do Mm-mm. it for Portia. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, really good of you. What else? You can support us extra by joining our. Patreon. Our Patreon is what gives us the uh, majority of the revenue for a podcast. That is what allows us to keep doing this podcast every single week. Without it, we would probably not be this many episodes in most definitely not be this many episodes and it's a lot of work so uh the the money you give us there helps us pay for our our editor and it helps us pay for hosting and and a whole slew of things uh that goes into the podcast and also for our time which you know if we put time into this we can put less time into jobs that Pay much better than podcasting. So it's very important. We record an extra episode every week. And now we have the Discord. If you're at the $10 a month or above level, we have a very active and fun Discord with so many channels that uh, we love. We are in there and having a lot of fun with it. So please consider joining. There's been talk of doing a a jackbox. I don't even know what that is, but we're going to do it. What is it? It's It's like you could do games. So you can do games like uh, Quiplash, like you can have like a game night. with on the Discord. On the Discord, yeah, yeah. You do watch parties. Because there are options to
3: enable your camera and your speakers for something interactive. I will figure it out. I'm just still figuring out how to join different channels within the server and type. But it looks like (laughs) we can converse. more. Yes. And hear and see each other on this Discord.
2: Right. So Is somebody that right? <laughs> said it's better than stereo, which remember when we did stereo? What? Well, yeah. Talk about our time. The podcast wow. taking up our
3: time. We, in addition. That was nuts. To Patreon episodes and regular episodes, we also
2: recorded three,
3: three. episodes a week on stereo app. Yes. Which I think are still up there.
2: They're probably still up there, but then we stopped doing it because I don't think they paid us. So again, no, this they is why owe we owe us money. They owe us money. Oh, they do. The founder so died. Um, <laughs> it's a whole thing. Not our problem. Not our problem that the founder died. Where's our money? Why no, weren't like, we in the really will? They do owe us like a lot of money. Yeah. They, okay. they, owe, they owe us like a lot of money. So yes, please support our Patreon because we can't trust capitalism And another dyking out adjacent update. I am um, putting on a show for Valentine's Day at Ginger's Bar in Brooklyn. And the reason I'm talking about it here is because I need your participation. If you are single and you are in the area and don't have plans for Valentine's Day, even if you do, ditch those plans. Come to Ginger's Bar on uh, Monday, February 14th. And I'm putting on a show called Loves a Pitch. Love it. And it's like single shark tank. So people <laughs> will have the chance to pitch themselves. And then there will be a panel of experts that will be, you know, really pressure testing all the things you're saying about yourself. And uh, at the end of your pitch, we'll see if there are any takers in the audience. And then you can pick from those takers. And if there's <laughs> those takers, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm still working on the verbiage uh and you can pick somebody uh you know whoever seems most like the person you want to sit down and have a drink with and then you go sit have a drink on the bar like on their tat you know okay and uh and then we move on to the next person and that will happen until we feel like we've set up uh maybe some new some new couples i love that it's like
3: live reality dating TV. Yeah. it's vaxxed. Yes. Right? Vaxxed only uh, yes, if yes. you want to attend.
2: So we'll be uh, announcing the sharks soon, getting the flyer together, doing all that. So that'll be fun uh, at Gingers. Perfect. Looking forward to it. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Carolyn.
2: Yeah. Can I ask you first? Are you ready for it? That's. Oh. Are you ready for this gayest thing?
3: Now I need you to go first. Okay. Okay. Carolyn, what is the gayest thing you did this week?
2: Oh, cast a spell. What? Did a little witchcraft. AKA what? Hung out with your wife? No, no. (laughs) Like full on. That's only funny if you know her wife. She is a witch. Um, She is very witchy. Uh, Yes. Full on uh, magics. Mm -hmm. With a CK. That we bought at a Curiosities shop with two P's and an E. Uh, Whoa. Right. I've seen magic with a K, C K, even more CK. magic. Yeah. Right. You know when there's a K, it's like legit, right? Right. That's what I said, because the friend we were with was like, why is it spelled with a K? I'm like, oh, it's more authentic. Yeah. to differentiate itself from Magic with just a C is, yeah, that's like the wand, the rabbit in the hat, Mm -hmm. the illusions. Mm -hmm. Uh, With a K, we're getting closer to devil worship. No, just kidding. (laughs) To nature worship and being in tune with la-da-da. So Mm -hmm. we had a, a friend visiting and staying with us upstate for the weekend. And there is this little street, about 10 minutes from us that has all these cute little shops and things. It just happens to have three shops that are witchy. Uh, And two of them I think are connected, but they're like in, in different buildings, whatever. And I'd actually never spent time in them before. Um, just with timing, whatever. So I'd always wanted to spend more time in, in this witch shop. So we went there and uh our friend is, you know, going through some things. And Cecilia was like, well, we should do a spell and do like a healing spell. And with the three of us, it'll be like extra energy. Mm-hmm. And let's let's do this. So we got like white sage to burn ahead of time. It's got like a candle. And you rub the candle um in in a special oil, and then you roll that oiled candle in this like bag of like dried herbs, and then you put the candle in the center, you light it, you meditate for a second on like what you want. So we were just there for support and to like transfer energy and positive thoughts. We sat kind of like uh, you know, crisscross applesauce, knee to knee. Around the candle. And uh and our friend, you know, once she was ready, read the incantation. And there was something that was like the power of uh three by three, and we're like, who knew? The three of us. So we're there, <laughs> yeah, doing you this love threes lately? We love threes. <laughs> love the number three and did the spell. And then you had to not blow. The candle out you have to wait for the candle to go down but not sure if you can be like going around doing other things so the candle you know it's melting it's a small candle it's melting at a decent pace but then we're like getting to the end and we're like okay I can't go to the bathroom or anything like it's gonna go out any minute so like let's all you know for when it goes out like let's all hold hands like really push that last positive energy out That last bit of the candle went on for like a good 40 minutes. I don't know how it felt like a Hanukkah miracle. That candle would not go out. Uh, So really just spent a lot of time trying to transfer energy and positivity to our friend. Oh, I forgot the most important part. What? I forgot. There's a crystal. There's a rose quartz involved. So you have to take the crystal, hold it in your hand, put it in front of the candle the The rose quartz um, absorbs the energy, and then she has to carry the rose quartz with her for three days, like have it on her body um, for for at least three days, and then however long you want afterwards to, to transfer the energy. And I'm just going to say I think it, it was working,
3: you know? That's so gay. That's so witchy. I love that it was a rose quartz, yeah. which feels like one of the gayer crystals for some reason. I don't know if it's just my experience with it. The fact that I have experience with rose quartz <laughs> is gay. That was I, like yeah, my, um, know it. that was my gateway crystal. Um, I went through a really sear, <laughs> like devastating breakup in my mid twenties. And what's the first thing you do? You walk to the crystal shop, obviously. Right. That's um, the healing one. Yeah, that's the healing one. Um, I wasn't a believer. But had some friends who were who um, took me to the crystal shop and helped me pick some out. But I was like really drawn to this one huge rose quartz, like a massive one. And I took it home and I like lied on my bed and put it on my chest. And I wasn't I was stone cold sober and like felt it and freaked myself out. I don't know if I was willing it, but I like felt the energy from this huge rose quartz. And yeah have been like a semi believer since.
2: I mean sometimes Cecilia meditates with crystals on her body. She bought some when we were in um New Mexico and then her dad and her stepmom gifted us this like huge amethyst. So uh she likes to meditate with them. She likes to Yeah, charge I saw she charged
3: them. them at the last full yeah. moon. Yep, that's what right. we do here.
2: Yeah, so so there's that it's it was very uh very witchy and healing and felt Super, super gay, and I was like, "This absolutely has to be my gayest thing of the week." Don't you love
3: that when you're gay when you when something happens in your week and And then you you just take
2: your little notes app out and you're like,
3: "Oh, this is it!" Yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) I know. Sometimes it's like more subtle, and I have to run and jot it down. But this time, I'm like, nothing (laughs) is topping this, right? this week now we also have like this big leftover thing of um of white sage and whenever cecilia and i like are talking we're like stressed out we're we're like upset whatever it's like quick light the sage light the sage (laughs) just saging everything as a solution which i recommend yeah why Um, not i don't know if today's guest agrees with a sage as a solution but why now i think that witchcraft is an important Um, thing to do in tandem with therapy. Anyway, we'll get to it. But Melody, first, we have to know what's your gayest thing of the week.
3: You know, last night I had that moment and I was with a bunch of dykes that were like, that's your gayest thing.
2: <laughs> I also love it when people name it for us. <laughs> right,
3: right. So, thanks for doing that, friends. I last night went to the Slag Gallery in Chelsea, went to a gallery opening for my friend Ally, aka Alita Wilkinson. Um, she is a visual artist. She is so fucking talented. You can catch her work at the Slag Gallery until March, like early March, maybe mid-March. The uh, show is called A Self Apart. She has three series of life size works that imagine the many selves a person inhabits, releases, and protects. It's, it was just very good, very gay. She's gay. Uh, there were a lot of like nudes or portraits of her partner. And all this to say, we were standing by her partner, me and a bunch of friends, all dykes, this old white man, older, kind of boomer, white haired white guy approaches her partner, Aaron, and says, do you know the artist? And there are portraits, huge portraits of Aaron all over the gallery. (laughs) So it's like, uh, yeah, yeah. uh, She was like, I'm her partner. Um, Yeah. And like kind of gestures to all of the art of her. Right. and, And then he was like, oh. And then he seemed intrigued after he got the word partner out of her and was like, Tell me, um, have you seen Blue is the Warmest Color? It's a film. And before you could get that out, I we all start laughing so hard at oh this my man. Like, we couldn't help it. Just like we all erupted because we weren't part. We were standing behind that. Aaron, but we were I all eavesdropping. That. Right. Right. <laughs> so this man is now confronted with like eight dykes laughing in his face i would scream Um, i would scream if i heard that i screamed and he looked really confused so i did scream i go we're all gay (laughs) but he still didn't know why we were laughing right (laughs) he thought he was about to have this really like profound contribution to the space i don't know right and Erica Rose was there and was like, well, you know, she's a filmmaker. She had to say something, but she was just like, well, it's a really uh, exploitative film, um, as the rest of us are still laughing. And when she said that, like he kind of like waved her off and walked away from us. Like we laughed him off, but like he got annoyed that she said that and like put his hand kind of like in our faces. I was like, ah, oh, whatever. and like walked away and we just laughed him off. Um, he looked humiliated. So I love that. Um, wow. <laughs> it was just so fun. Wow. I mean, it was pure. It was a weird form of queer joy. I don't, It was just like, uh, we laughed so
2: hard at it.
3: It was so oh, unexpected, yeah. but also so expected, you know, like so classic.
2: Right. Right. <laughs> love a moment like that. Also, What movie should we reference when we meet straight people? Be like, oh, that's her husband. Have you seen When Harry Met Sally? Yeah. Or is there one where, like, the husband murders the wife? Like, what's, what's, like, the most straight trope? Have you seen Wedding Crashers? (laughs) (laughs) I think we all absolutely must start doing that. Yeah. That's a good call. Yeah. Oh,
3: man. Haven't thought of that movie in a while. It
2: always rears its ugly head in Oof. fun little ways. Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited about this guest today. Me too. And I know that a lot of you are excited about this guest because so many of you probably already follow Casey on Instagram. Just a, an amazing, informative Instagram. We are diking out with queer sex therapist Casey Tanner about non-monogamy. Uh-oh. Uh, Casey is a certified sex therapist who combines evidence-based research, We are affirming care and pleasure activism to cultivate powerful relationships, specializing in gender and sexual diversity. Casey partners with individuals, relationships and institutions to expand limited mindsets, foster courageous behavior and empower meaningful change around gender and sexuality. Let's dive in or let's open up to it. Ooh. (laughs) Ooh. Casey, thank you so much for dyking out with us today. We are so excited to have you. So many questions. Ooh, so
0: yeah? Many. Oh yeah. Oh god. Cool. I <laughs> love that.
3: <laughs> but so many questions could be answered just by scrolling your Instagram—the <laughs> most informative one on the entire app. I love your oh, work there. I'm already so blessed. Right. Thank you. So excited to have you.
1: Yes,
2: I follow a lot of queer people on Instagram. And one of them, I think just yesterday shared one of your posts. And I'm like, I'm interviewing
1: them tomorrow. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love hearing that. Well, thank you so much. That's also kind.
2: Well, before we get into learning more about you and telling our listeners more about you, if they don't know about you already, which I feel like many of them will just from your appearances on other podcasts and whatnot. But Melody, do you want to go ahead and...
3: We got a little question for you, Casey. Okay.
2: What is the gayest thing you did this week?
1: Yeah, Uh, well, my team was making fun of me yesterday because I showed up to my meeting in this like really good green blazer. They were like, we love your blazer. And I was like, yeah, I got my, I got a, a, an appointment to get my eggs frozen today. So like I had to wear this blazer and they were like, what do you mean you had to wear the blazer? I was like, I don't like, I didn't know how to show up for this. I knew that it was going to be like a traumatic process. The blazer was like the safety mechanism. And so the team, you know, the team at my company has now decided that like whenever one goes to learn about egg freezing, they must now wear a blazer. And I feel like there is something that's got to be gay about that.
2: Oh, yeah.
3: (laughs) I love that.
2: That's great. That's a great (laughs) choice. Wow. So you haven't had your eggs frozen yet, but you're in the process.
1: So this was step one, learning about my current fertility and then they just show you like a really depressing chart that just says like from here on out it just gets worse
2: and then oh, right yeah. just, right like, right
1: stew and anxiety about you know it, it's yeah it, it was uh it was a lot, was a lot. <laughs>
2: yeah yeah i've been i've been through it so at first i thought you were saying that you wore a green blazer for the retrieval me too roll, and, I'm and like, i was wow, so impressed yeah, oh, yeah, like, definitely.
1: If I do the retrieval, it'll be hospital gown and blazer over it. Yeah, like that <laughs> right. Okay, the look. Yes.
2: Perfect. Perfect. I think they would let you. I don't know. It gets kind of cold in there. It'd be good. It's always good to have a spare blazer wherever you are. A uh, hospital, medical setting. <laughs> <center laughs> with them. Totally <laughs> yeah. agree. So, tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be a
1: queer sex
2: therapist.
1: Yeah. So it started, you know, 10 years ago when I went to college to become a youth pastor um, and was like very Mm. deep into evangelical Christianity and simultaneously like really suffering with my mental health um, and had sort of connected the dots that those might be related. And then (laughs) one day dots connected And I just sort of said out loud, I I think I'm queer. Um, My therapist said like, oh, I've known this whole time. And I was like, God damn it. Should have, could have told me four years ago, but okay. Um,
2: (laughs) just like every week you're going in with these dreams about Angelina Jolie. (laughs) I'm like, what
1: do they mean? (laughs) (laughs) yeah, Right. (laughs) Right. And, you know, appreciate that. She was like, Casey will get there herself one day. And I do appreciate that. But yeah, once I, once I came out of the closet, I like came out screaming and running and (laughs) jumping and leaping um, and like became sort of an activist uh, on my campus in certain ways, uh, a campus that was like an evangelical Christian school where being queer was something that was actually explicitly not allowed. And then, you know, sort of sought out to become the therapist that I wish I had had when I was growing up because I had seen many therapists growing up and not a single person had asked me a question about my sexuality. um, And I think that is all too common in therapy that we could go years without our therapists asking us about our sex lives. And so, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to be that therapist and I wanted to do it at the intersection of queerness, which is obviously an identity that has, you know, become so impactful for me. Wow. What a journey. (laughs) Yeah. True. true. I I saw the 10-year challenges people were doing. I was like, should I put up my like adult baptism photo from 10 years ago? I don't know if people can handle that. I don't know if they can handle that. (laughs) So good.
3: And you're based in Chicago, correct?
1: I was based in Chicago and I just moved to I'm in Brooklyn now. Oh, welcome.
3: Oh Oh, I'm in Brooklyn. Yeah.
1: Hey, okay.
3: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Good to know. Good to know. Hey,
2: friend. Where were you originally from? Chicago. That you grew up. Okay. So Chicago was where you were in this like conservative. Okay. Interesting. You had exposure to like the dark side of, you know, (laughs) the rest of us heathens. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, My exposure uh, was that my godmother who I actually like never really got to know because she came out as a lesbian when I was like two. And then my mom was like, you will never see each other again. Um, And then, but I just knew she existed in this world. There was this like queer fairy godmother out there that I knew like one day I needed to know, but I didn't know why. And I think sometimes it does take like knowing, even knowing of somebody with Mm -hmm. the identity we have to start to put those words to it. So that was my exposure. She, yes, she's a heathen, and she would embrace that fully <laughs>
2: I love that <laughs> and i I know this is off topic, but I'm just curious, like, what is dating like for you when people find out that like you're a sex therapist, like <laughs> yeah, th- does it just dominate every first date? Is just people no, asking the most questions? No,
1: <laughs> not as much as you think. I think what I'm okay. learning because I am recently single, actually, and just like have started navigating the dating world again is that people feel intimidated to have sex with me. Um, Like they're, they're a little bit nervous uh, about maybe being analyzed in the way that they have sex. And it's so interesting because I am, I am insecure about how I have sex. And so then the pressure for me to show up and be this like sex goddess is like hanging (laughs) over me. And I'm like, I still don't think I really know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I can talk about it really well. Um, so I think that's the thing that happens. People think I'm, I'm going to be like fantastic in bed and maybe are disappointed. I don't know. (laughs) have to ask them. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I imagine that,
2: you know, your mind, like most of us, you're not constantly in like work mode, not constantly trying to, you know, <laughs> sometimes you just want to relax. And I imagine sex would be like one of
1: those times that you're you not know,
2: trying to pick apart
1: the person. <laughs> sometimes, yes. And it's never picking apart the person. It is always picking apart me. It's like, okay, yeah, so yeah. I know that right now, you know, this many blood cells are rushing to my genitals and this is how I'm <laughs> lubricating. And this is <laughs> the type of desire I have. And oh my God, I'm never going to have an orgasm. Um, right, right. that's what happens. That's what happens.
3: <laughs> if you get in an Uber and they the, say a driver, asks, that, so what do you do? That, yes. d- what do you, how do you navigate that?
1: <laughs> I don't, I, I mean, I just choose a different accountant. career every time. Yeah. You got it. You got it. Yeah. Ac- I haven't <laughs> done accountant. I'll do accountant next mm-hmm.
2: time. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, zero follow up questions. Except it's tax season. So maybe wait until after Oh, that is a good call. April. Good PSA yeah. to any, you know, sex workers, comedians, people who don't want to say their
3: profession. We are yeah, yeah, coming yeah. up on tax season. Yeah. We've got to pivot for a little bit from
2: accountant. Good got good it. note. Got it. Right. <laughs> Uh, Well, our topic for today is non-monogamy, and it's something that we've talked about on this podcast before. We've talked more about polyamory. I think we should start with defining what non-monogamy is and then Mm -hmm. how it differs from polyamory, because I think that there can be a lot of confusion between the two.
1: Absolutely. So non-monogamy, think of non-monogamy as the umbrella term um and polyamory as one uh identity or way of doing relationship that fits under that umbrella so non monogamy being that really broad um you know being in relationship uh whether it's romantic sexual deeply emotional with more than one person um and then polyamory being under that as a more committed form of non monogamy where you might have uh you're more likely to have multiple partners where there's some level of commitment um versus, you know, let's say an open relationship where you might have one partner with a high level of commitment and several other sort of smaller, uh, smaller flings, for example.
2: And what are some of the other things that fall under that umbrella of non-monogamy then if we have polyamory?
1: Yeah. So there's also solo polyamory. Um, so that's just dis- distinct from polyamory where you usually would have One sort of central partner, whether that's a primary or nesting partner, meaning you live together, um, and multiple other partners. Solo polyamory, there is no primary partner. There's usually not a nesting partner. There's sort of like equal reign to any and all partners. There's also swinging, where you are in a relationship and engage in sex with another, um, another partnership. So you might have sex with somebody from a different relationship while your partner has sex with the other person from that relationship. Um, There is group sex. Um, Gosh, there there are really so many constellations under. under Yeah, so many.
3: I was just wondering about swinging the other day, just because it's it's. I don't know. It's like been used in media or just like in movies and TV. Mm -hmm. Like it just as a throwaway. Like oh, they're swingers. Then it got Mm -hmm. to the point where I was like, is it a is it a bad thing to say? Like, are we still calling it? Uh, You know, (laughs) like I don't. I don't say it anymore because it feels wrong, even though. Sure. Because, yeah. <laughs> we, because it
1: feels like we maybe have more evolved language now. Right. I, I do clinical work with swingers and and they, you know, the folks I've worked with own that word proudly. Um, cool. and so, you know, like most identity related labels, just like use the one that people use for themselves.
2: Right. Perfect. Right. My wife and I are non-monogamous. We recently opened up our marriage, um, I don't know, now like four, over four months ago. And sometimes she'll bring up swinging. Uh-huh. And I'm like, just don't. I'm like, it just, and she's like, what? It's a term. I'm like, it's creepy. Just stop using it. And I'm like, you can't, shh, no. But there is this creepy connotation with it. Like, yeah. oh, there were swinging. Like, like, you think of like, oh, I know what you're the, saying. The old guy at the, like, like, trading keys at the party, whatever. But I always, I always picture this like old guy mm. with, like his chest hair out and it's like your parents creepy friend. And it's like, Oh yeah, yeah. Bill's a swinger. That's you the know? Stereotype. <laughs>
1: it's the stereotype. And like, there's been like, maybe, you know, a handful of movies made about swingers and they're all like horror films. So that right. might be part of it. Um, but I think <laughs> also there's this like, you know, we, there's this language around unicorns where that typically refers to like a straight passing couple seeking a third who's a woman. Often this looks like, you know, at least the stereotype is straight dude by woman seeking a third. Um, and I think that, you know, that stereotype also comes with a sort of like predatory ideas, similar to swinging where people are trying to get you to do something that maybe you don't necessarily really want to do. Yeah. When we take that layer of like potential non-consent off and we just look at what it is to consensual right. couples engaging in sex with one another, there isn't anything creepy about it.
2: Right. right. Cause I, I think that was one of the things that I struggled with in the beginning, like, you know, term swinger aside, I was like, oh, are like, now are people going to see us as like that? creepy poly couple or Mm -hmm. like non-monogamous couple at every party and they're just gonna think we're there to you know pick up on people and I I got like really in my head around that like Uh, hashtag we saw you across
3: the bar like that line
1: yeah. Yeah. (laughs) yeah no I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that You know, I don't know if y'all have had this experience where, you know, you come out as queer and suddenly you're like other woman friends wonder if you're into them, right? Like this idea that once you have some kind of minority identity, suddenly you're attracted to or want everybody else who could fit into Mm -hmm. that box. And that's what's been projected onto non-monogamous folks as well. Like they can't just like try to engage in a new friendship without someone wondering like, do they just want to sleep with me? That's not Mm -hmm. what's happening. That's yeah, Exactly. Everybody listening Who I <laughs> hang out with Okay <laughs> But some of them You might want to have sex down. with So Yeah That's also yeah. true I know
2: I was going to say Well then The other thing Like <laughs> like we were uh at a wedding and going to the wedding um my wife and I were like you know we're you know we're just going to this as a couple nothing we're not looking it's a wedding like we're here no and then like are we not making out with someone in front of all of our friends at the after party I'm like there we go now everybody's gonna think oh we're fucking my creeps
1: gosh. <laughs> that's amazing no that's the wedding I want to be at yeah
2: yeah <laughs> I mean, I'm glad I was there, but it it was also a queer wedding. So it was a queer wedding, but also one doesn't inform
3: the other, which I just learned from
2: your Instagram,
3: (laughs) (laughs) which I thought was a perfect post for today's conversation, that queerness and monogamy, one isn't validated by the other because a lot of us do associate the two as hand in hand. Totally. It's like,
1: it's like, Queerness is the gateway drug to non-monogamy or vice versa when like, that isn't how it goes for a lot of, and maybe even most people. Um, And I think that, you know, at first when I started educating about non-monogamy, the thing I was really stressing is non-monogamy is okay. It's normal. It's good. It's all of those things. And now I feel like the thing I'm having to stress is I'm not saying that you're a bad person if you are monogamous, uh, which is such an interesting (laughs) shift in rhetoric which I think you know the need for that shift in rhetoric is is ultimately a positive thing because it means that non-monogamy is being talked about more often and being centered more often. But it is interesting the way that we've now, you know, as humans do decided that one is good and one is bad.
3: Right. Yeah, I have to admit, like I, since Carolyn and her wife opened their marriage, have felt not questioned my queerness, but it felt like such yeah, a less square. Evolved. Yeah, Yeah. in the community. (laughs) Yeah. And have had to struggle with that and just, or like, we talk more about Carolyn's relationship on the patreon we're not going to get too yeah. into it today but like yeah especially when we record our patreon episodes i was like I, I know what everyone just is like i don't even need to be here no one wants to hear about <laughs> my day-to-day anymore because how does it stack up against this right i'm not a oh cool 2022 queer
1: yeah queer's <laughs> old news queer's old news you gotta do <laughs> everything <laughs>
3: <laughs> thanks
0: tiktok oh yeah thanks <laughs>
2: My journey to this was being like a serial monogamous my entire life and then doing this podcast and hearing Mm -hmm. people talk about non-monogamy and being like, well, that's interesting, but it sounds like a lot of work and I don't think I could, you know, (laughs) uh, but then being like, well, when you talk about it, it makes a lot of sense. And it sounds good. Like, what's the catch? What's the trick? You know, Uh and then have you
1: learned what the, what the catch is yet?
2: (laughs) Um, so much talking,
1: uh, so
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so many conversations. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, just the the time in general, like the scheduling. W- which the scheduling was something going. I'm like, that sounds, you know, who, who even who has think the time for this yeah. scheduling? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! But it is, and it's like everything's a negotiation. But then also the conversations. It's weird because, yes, like it has brought a lot of things to the the surface for us. But a lot of things that we're talking about or the, a lot of the issues that come up were there before mm-hmm. we opened it up. Absolutely. And it's just the uh, but being non monogamous, like makes it so much more obvious like oh this is the thing we keep getting hung up on and now we can talk about it in like a really honest way Mm -hmm. where before we weren't having those because before it was like oh I don't know if I should say this but now we're just like so honest about everything which has been great whereas like Oh, uh, before, you know, I said I really wasn't going to talk a lot about my personal experience. <laughs> I'm sorry, Melanie. Here I go.
0: Uh, Do
2: it. <laughs> whereas, yeah, before, you know, if I had like thoughts about someone else or a certain urge or something, I would be like, keep it to yourself and feel all mm-hmm. the shame about it. Like, this is mm-hmm. shameful. You're bad. What are you doing? That mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And this has kind of like freed the both of us from mm-hmm. any of those kind of um, toxic, I would say thought patterns.
1: Well, that makes sense. It's it's sort of like non-monogamy is like a good facial, right? It like sort of brings to the surface more quickly all of the things that were already there and kind of can look right. a little bit uglier for a second, but ultimately can be really beautiful. Yeah. I also think that, you know, some of what you I just love that. Yeah, some of what you just said about um non-monogamy sort of giving space for things that used to cause you shame, I think that's a moment of sort of recognizing that monogamy doesn't have to look that like, it doesn't have to look that way just because it's monogamy. You can be attracted to somebody else and say it and talk honestly about it with a partner, even in a monogamous relationship. Right. And so yeah. I yes. think there are things that even monogamous people can learn from non-monogamy without having to completely shift their style of relationship. Yes,
2: for sure. And when I, uh, my wife and I, we listen to the ethical slut mm-hmm. as, people do uh before opening things up but when we were listening I'm like man even if we weren't opening things up this is a great read like Holy. because it talks about things like like jealousy and communication and you know what to do when um yes like feelings come up and when somebody's feeling insecure and the ways to communicate and all these things that are so important that have nothing to do with having sex with other people <laughs>
1: oh, yes yep I completely agree I think maybe everyone should go through the process of considering non-monogamy just to sort of look at those topics in a way they may not have previously considered. Oh, that's a good idea right yeah that I mean, with we, oh is that is that is is that the next step for you yeah i mean i think we are we
3: are very honest with each other my partner and i when we're attracted to other people or like we'll wake up and turn to each other and be like whoa i had the craziest sex dream about so and so like <laughs> like i think we're good, good. like pretty shameless um yeah. we're both comedians um <laughs>
2: but it's because neither of you grew up catholic all right, right. yeah
3: i didn't grow right. up with religion At all. So that definitely helps. I'm like a lot more open to being open and she's not at all. But that stems from like abandonment issues and a lot of her own like trauma. But I think, yeah, reading or listening to the book together could just help us work on our relationship as it is. And I never even considered that.
1: Oh, I mean, and you think about you know the fact that monogamy is our default, right? Like this is the this is the thing that many of us were taught were the only option. So reading a book like that, even if you don't think you want to be non-monogamous, is just saying like, hey, I recognize my social education about this has been so heavily weighted in one direction. I just want to give myself the opportunity to even expose myself um, to this other option. And if I still net out monogamous, great, I've done it now through a process of interrogating monogamy. And it's maybe even more meaningful to me because of that afterwards.
3: That positive. Yes. All right.
2: I'll get it. (laughs) I'll do it. (laughs) What's your own relationship like to monogamy and non-monogamy?
1: Oh, it's so complicated. Um, so the re- relationship I just got out of, we had periods of monogamy and periods of non-monogamy. I really just confronted with my own struggles with jealousy in a lot of ways and not liking who I am when I'm jealous and, and, you know, trying to figure out, are there ways that I can self-regulate better around this? What helps me feel safe? Um, when I'm in an open relationship, And then I, you know, in my recent breakup sort of launched into the dating world, um, imagining that I probably would be non-monogamous, but after, you know, starting to talk to one person in particular, I'm already like, no, this is going to be monogamous Um, (laughs) because this is, this is how I am. Like, this is the lesbian that I am. I'm just like, when I, like, I love the idea of non-monogamy, but then when I have a person in front of me that I'm interested in, like the thought of non-monogamy is really hard to tolerate. So It's a, I have a, you know, I don't know, a a developing budding relationship with non monogamy and it's in the storming phase right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that you bring that up because my wife and I, we always say, like, this might not be something that we do forever. For right now, it Mm -hmm. feels right for us. But I could also see us being monogamous again at some point. I don't, you know, you just kind of take it like day by day and take the temperature of how everyone's doing. But I'm also glad like it would be very hard for me to imagine what our relationship would have been like if we started off non-monogamous. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm so glad we started off monogamous and got mm-hmm. to a point where we really felt like we had that trust and communication mm-hmm. and level of commitment where then it feels safe to do this and that we're not just, like, inviting chaos into the relationship.
1: Yeah, and that that is so common for people to to take the stance of, like, I really need for this to be a secure attachment before we introduce all of these things that are inevitably going to evoke avoidant attachment stuff and anxious attachment stuff. I've also heard the exact opposite where people say like starting off that way is the thing that made it easier and more doable. So I think it's so specific to really your attachment style.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm Hmm. Hmm. Hmm.
1: Yeah. I never (laughs) even
3: thought about, I always just assumed. And then I realized, especially in preparing for this conversation that it might be like toxic thinking that I was like no you have to start off monogamous but yeah that is me just being
1: not at all influenced
3: by it society having it be the default etc etc
1: totally some people identify as non-monogamous or polyamorous in the same way others identify as queer which is to say that they feel like it actually isn't a choice for them they are non-monogamous and that is their Call it like relationship orientation, and so they would never think to engage in in monogamy at this point with any partner. So, yeah, so different, so different.
3: Yeah. Have you seen any positive, authentic depictions
1: in mm-hmm. media? Positive and authentic. Uh, that's a lot. To ask <laughs> I know. Is that too for much? Media. I know we yeah. can't even get like a good queer movie from media, know. but. <laughs> it was a show that like really took place in Chicago and it was like different story vignettes. Uh, there was, Oh, easy.
2: Yes. Easy. easy. Yeah. yeah.
1: They did have one storyline around opening up. I will say that like, Oh yeah, it was, it was not perfect. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think for folks who are in the process of opening or in the struggle of it, it will be incredibly relatable. And they, they do like a thoughtful job of it. Um, I also think like, I don't know, when I watched those, I was watching it with a friend who's straight and monogamous and she was like, gosh, does it bother you that they showed people struggling so much with this? Like, wouldn't you hope that they would just show people thriving? And I was like, how doesn't it suck that we hold non-monogamy to a different standard than monogamy? Because what show about monogamy doesn't show people in <laughs> monogamy struggling, Right, right. Right. But but because it's monogamy, we don't think, oh, they're struggling because of monogamy. But if it's non monogamy, we're like, oh, that definitely didn't work mm. out because it was non monogamy. It's this like double standard we have.
2: Right. Right. That's the thing that. So one thing in telling people that you're non-monogamous, they're all too eager to let you know about the two other non-monogamous people they know who Uh, it didn't work out for and didn't go well. I'm I'm like, let me tell you about the 5,000 monogamous relationships (laughs) that I've come across (laughs) through my life uh, that were also awful. Like that didn't work out. So I don't think you can blame it on monogamy or non-monogamy. And it's more about other issues. But that being said, and another thing that I don't love letting people know that we're uh, non-monogamous, like I always have to kind of brace myself a little bit before telling people because mm-hmm. I feel like they're going to assume, oh, something must be wrong yeah. in the marriage for them yeah. to do this. Like, that's why I, I don't want my mom to know, like, I don't want her to stress out like that. Uh, so like, cousins, if you're listening, please do not tell my mom. Um <laughs> That's so but, real. But seriously, yeah. yeah. Um, but also, there are couples who, like, Correct. something is wrong, and yes. then they think that they're going to fix it by opening up, and then it's just, like, a, a disaster. So it's a little bit hard to fight that
1: misconception. Totally. It, it, it's hard to fight, especially when you're having a conversation with someone who's starting from just being completely biased against non-monogamy. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think whenever we hear something like, uh, you know, whether it's someone coming out or someone being non-monogamous or kinky and our first question is, are you okay? Like that probably, you know, something's probably wrong. Like that just says so much about the person who's responding to that disclosure and nothing (laughs) about what's actually happening in the relationship. But yeah, I've had uh, conversations about non-monogamy with my family where they feel bad for me. Um, or they feel bad for a friend of mine who's engaging in it. I'm like, why do you feel bad? They are living their best, like most joyful, hottest life. It truly is. Um. Right. The pity. (laughs) It's just, yeah, it's just ignorance. Yeah. I mean, the, the reactions
2: that we get specifically from queer women are, why are you doing that? I remember one person I told, and it was before they met my wife, and then they met my wife, and they're like, why did you open up your marriage? She's beautiful. Oh my God. God. I'm like, Oh, Oh, were you just assuming I was married to an ugly person? And that's why. And then like five years in, I'm like, okay, I think it's time to, to open it. What is that? (laughs) That is so
1: gross. Oh my gosh.
2: Uh, Yeah. They're like, why? She's pretty. I'm like, that's not why. Um, Another reaction that is common is, oh, that sounds amazing. That's so interesting. I could never do it, but right. that sounds so. You know, like right. oh, I wish I could do it, but I I don't think I could. And then another one is just like horrified, just like why would you do that? Right? Why yeah. Why would you don't do that? Know what to say? Yeah. Well, yeah, they're triggered.
1: They are triggered. They are. Triggered. <laughs> I was just gonna say the middle one, the like that sounds incredible. I could never do it. At least that's honest. Like that's probably yeah. true. Like that. Yeah. That to me seems like. How most like an, an honest reaction to it. The other ones, yeah, just total projection. But that one, <laughs> I get. I, I I get because I can oh, relate yeah, yeah. to it. I feel right. like it is amazing, no doubt. And when it's done well, I've just seen some like incredibly beautiful relationships who do this well. And yeah, I don't know that I can do it long term. Um, and I think yeah, maybe many of us are in that boat. For
2: those examples of relationships you've seen who've done it. Well, Mm -hmm. can you think of what are maybe some of the the things that they do well
0: that?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, not so much something they do well, but something that really facilitates success is having other polyam and non-monogamous friends, like just the Mm -hmm. ability to like go out in a group of polyamorous or non-monogamous people. Um, So that they're not constantly facing the microaggressions that you just described. Um, And it's being reflected back to them that um, that this is possible um, and that it's beautiful. Um, I think uh, what else? Uh, The very like regular contained check ins. So um, instead of like, hey, at any point that we feel something about non-monogamy, we'll talk about it more like this is our designated time that we talk about it. And this is sort of the structure of that time when we do talk about it to keep it Um, feeling um, connective. And, and, And then like, I think that people who do this well know that aftercare isn't just about sex, that it's also about what we have to do after some of these conversations. So, we just had a really, you know, a, a sort of fraught conversation where you shared about a new partner, and I felt part way thrilled for you, but also, you know, felt that drop in my stomach. And let's not end the conversation there. Let's figure out what something connective, what sort of like conversation aftercare looks like um, to get us back to feeling secure with one another.
2: I like that term aftercare.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it comes from the uh, Kink and BDSM community, actually, but applicable ah. everywhere.
3: Yeah. Okay. What not to do? <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're about like, that? you got a pen, and, a pen and paper? You want to write this down? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, what not to do? Um, oh, gosh. I mean, so many of the what not to do's are the same things I would say to folks in monogamous relationships. So I'm trying to think of what's actually different. I think you've touched on this, but if you are in a place where you're in your relationship, where there's a core piece of it that makes you really unhappy or a dynamic that's really unhealthy, um, it's unlikely that opening the relationship is going to be a solution to that. Now, there are cases where there's something that feels missing in the relationship and you open it up because of that. And actually that, that does solve the problem in some ways because it's, you know, not everybody can be everything to everyone. Um, But if you're already in a place where communication is really fraught, um, there's any of those sort of like four (laughs) Gottmans, four horsemen of the apocalypse, like criticism, contempt, stonewalling, like those types of, of elements of communication, that for me is always a moment where I'll spend time with a couple having like a really real conversation about how It's not that they can't be non-monogamous, but that they may not be setting themselves up for success to do that work before they do the work of um, getting into a healthy rhythm of communication themselves. Um, That's the biggest one. Um, And some people thrive doing trial by fire and they try things and they learn that way and that works. I think that more often though, having the conversations ahead of time, coping ahead, Um, I'll even do visualizations with couples considering opening and have them imagine scenarios that that come up um, to see what happens in their bodies. If you can do that work with a therapist or somebody who is well-versed in non-monogamy, that I think that could be hugely helpful up front.
3: Yeah. I'm wondering about the pandemic and how it affected couples Mm -hmm. who might have started to navigate opening their relationship or exploring this and how obviously they had a major roadblock.
1: Yes and no. Yes and no. So I saw people, um, I saw people who are non-monogamous, especially polyamorous people really struggle, um, to navigate what multiple partners looked like in a world where you have to do so much contact, contact tracing,
3: Yeah. Right. You know,
1: feeling really isolated from certain partners while like maybe nesting with one of them, which can, of course, bring up some difficult conversations around like the inequity of that um, sort of inevitable inequity of that. But I've also seen people who are in polycules become their own. Gosh, I'm forgetting the word now. What did we call it? Pod? Igloos pods, pods. What? Igloos. <laughs> not igloos. Scratch that. I like, um, super nest. <laughs> <laughs> that's so embarrassing. I, I think whenever somebody would say pod, I just had the image of an igloo. Um, so yeah, they, their polycules would become their pods and, oh my gosh, I think maybe some of those folks had a better pandemic than anyone else. Just Truly. being in a crew of people who all just like were so deeply into each other. Um, I'm just thinking about a couple of folks I know in particular. So anyway, really <laughs> diverse experiences, but I don't think it was bad for everybody.
2: True. Yeah, yeah. Good point. I mean, outside of a pandemic, what about safety in terms of safe sex and best practices Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. like I know I just got uh tested the other day and while (laughs) okay so in the ethical slut they talk about like oh you know you can practice uh safe sex with your partner so then when you go off with Mm -hmm. other people you know you're kind of get used to it Mm -hmm. and um we bought uh, a dental dam which I'd never purchased before and we used it and I have in, in to P-Town? apologize, but yeah, yeah. In okay. Melody was there. <laughs> I was like, look what we just bought. Uh, <laughs> what do you think? Uh, I hated it. Yeah. we were like, like at first we we're like, okay. And then I'm like, all right, can we, can we get rid of this now? Like yeah. just, it was a totally different experience. I'm like, this isn't going to go, go anywhere. I'm like, I don't think I'm using it wrong, but like, it it was less enjoyable by a huge degree for Mm -hmm. for either of us Mm -hmm. so I'm like okay well that's out the window like I can't really see myself you know putting on like a latex glove
1: the glove thing can be incredibly helpful but I will say like if you really um I'm really so pro like a harm reduction model to all of this and um If I'll just speak to you directly, like depending on the gender of people you're hooking up with, depending on the genitals of people you're hooking up with, if you are having conversations where, you know, the last time they were tested and if they tested negative for STIs, like, yes, you actually don't need to take out a glove. And so, right. And you know that, you know that I think, I think maybe what I'm trying to say is we almost know more now today about COVID testing than we ever knew about STI testing. And I think there's like, it translates actually pretty well. Like if you've seen somebody that tested positive for something, don't see somebody else until either you've tested negative or take like the measures needed to protect them from it. Like we are learning that now this is applicable to sex
2: right right yeah we have like our rules in place around like you know minimizing risk having those communications getting tested Mm -hmm. um and whatnot but (laughs) but then i'm like should i be feeling bad that i won't use a dental dam i'm sorry i'm sorry i just
1: (laughs) i don't think there's anything to feel bad about i think it might just inform the type of sex that you end up having and with right and that's okay yeah you're doing great carolyn you're okay (laughs) okay
2: God, I really went into this thinking I'm just going to talk in generalizations and none of this is going to be personal. I'm going to have to have Cecilia listen to this before we put it out
1: anyway. Uh... <laughs> Can I add one caveat to what I said? Just, just to, since I drew a parallel with COVID, I think one par- one sort of caveat is important, which is to say, if you've tested positive for COVID, don't go hang out with people. But if you've tested positive for an STI, have sex. There's so many different ways to do that. And I uh, I want to make it clear that testing positive for an STI doesn't mean that it's right. a red light for sex. There are oh, yes. many ways to navigate that. Yes. Yes.
2: When I was talking to a, a friend about non-monogamy and it, it was a straight friend of mine and she was like, that's interesting. Do you think that it's easier for you two as a lesbian couple than it would be for like a heterosexual couple to be Mm non-monogamous and i'm like i don't know because i've never been in a heterosexual (laughs) pairing so i i don't have anything to compare it to but in my mind i'm like yes Mm -hmm. i don't know (laughs) like i is that like a a bad assumption? No, um, no,
1: I mean there that is that is evidence based in some ways like when you are a person with a vulva having sex with only people with vulvas the chances of contracting an STI are lower. Um they're not impossible but they're lower.
2: Mm hmm. Oh, but but not even like just STI related. Oh, just oh like, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. That, oh, that's okay. you mean um,
1: like even emotionally or like emotionally? Got it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I think she was thinking, well, that's interesting and it hmm. sounds good. And I can see how you and your wife can do it. Me and my husband. Yeah. Could never.
1: Yeah. But, like, you know, no evidence for that, uh, that, that we have yet. I was like, there is evidence. <laughs> Interesting. No, Here we no, go. No, no, no. I mean, hopefully there will be research that demonstrates sort of like the unique resiliencies and struggles of, you know, non-monogamy based on sexual orientation. At, that, at this point, we don't have any of that data. Um, yeah. But if what you're talking about is like, yeah, when you have two people in a relationship, regardless of gender, that are more well-versed in talking about their emotions yeah, this is probably going to go better in certain ways. Right.
2: Yeah. Because I have friends who are on the apps and they'll say whenever they see anybody who has, um, E ethical non-monogamy listed on their profile, they will be like, Nope, out of the question. And my straight friends who, um, who are women, they will say specifically, they don't trust men to actually be Mm -hmm. (laughs) ethnically non-monogamous. But then I also know of, you know, and, and I get why too, um, like queer people who will also be like, I don't want to be with anybody who's Mm non-monogamous. Like there's a hesitancy there, um, either like they think that they can't deal with it from like a jealousy perspective or that like, there's no way they could trust somebody who's like that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's, there's two sides to that coin. One is, you know, are you looking, are you interrogating the biases you have towards non monogamous people when you say that, but if you have interrogated them, the truth is that like, yeah, if you sleep with people who are also sleeping with other people, there is a slightly higher chance of um, something going wrong, whether that's in terms of safety or something else, there's just a different level of things you have to navigate. So on one hand, If you're saying, you know, I don't want to assume that risk emotionally or otherwise, and that's coming from a place of stereotyping or bias, that's really unhelpful and really limiting. But if you've really assessed like these are, these are the risks of monogamy for me because there are risks of monogamy and these are the risks of non-monogamy for me. And these are the risks of doing it with this gender versus this. Like, and you come out on one side or the other, don't be a dick about it. But like you've done the work to figure out what's right for you, and I I don't know that there's anything wrong with doing that self-assessment and coming out feeling one way or the other.
3: Okay, I was wondering what ENM was. <laughs>
2: Thank you, Carolyn,
3: here on our little Google Doc.
2: <laughs> I didn't even know until know. a friend told me when she was telling me about the apps, and she's like, "I always uh, swipe left on people that say ENM." I'm like, "ENM," I'm like, "Oh, that's what I do." Uh, yeah,
3: but I get what you're saying about being less hesitant with lesbian couples than like a cis straight couple just yeah. i don't know problematic we, could, we don't trust cis men um myself <laughs> included. Right. i've been in relationships with um cis men and with women and I reacted so differently when a boyfriend would express attraction mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. a girl than when a girlfriend would like mm-hmm. <laughs> so much more irrationally jealous, suspicious, like,
0: yeah, that is so yeah, would
3: get really guarded. Um, so mm-hmm. that's something I need to examine in my own therapy, but I feel like <laughs> might be relatable. Is problematic but recognizing yeah. that i
1: think i think yeah maybe maybe problematic and relatable i think that's probably yeah. true that's me <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, well, that's all
3: we do. yeah good it's good we yeah. need, to, <laughs> need to own up to that um <laughs> we got a lot of listener questions from people in monogamous relationships who are wondering they don't even know if they're if they want a non monogamous relationship, but they're thinking about it and they don't know if it's right for them. Do you have any advice mm. for those listeners and how to approach yeah. those feelings with or without their yeah. partner?
1: I mean, most of these people, it sounds like have tried monogamy. And so as they're making this decision, they're making it with a skewed perspective, right? Where they have experience in one and no experience in the other. And they're trying to figure out which one is right for me without ever having tried the other. Um, And so if you are in a position to do some of that exploration of what it could look like to be non-monogamous, even doing things like change it in your dating profile and just notice how it feels to interact with that, uh, with that identity versus, um, you know, not mentioning that in a dating profile, little ways that you can start to feel, I, 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 it's reminding me of how I talk about, um, introducing a new pronoun. If you're not sure if the pronoun is going to feel right for you or not choose some really safe spaces where it's likely you're going to get a positive response and explore putting that on. Um, and I think that's the best way to learn. Now, if you're in a monogamous relationship and it's either we open it or we don't and we can't really experiment very much, go to therapy. Um, Go to therapy to a non-monogamy affirming therapist who knows which questions to ask um, and who you know is gonna be, you know, as unbiased as possible in the conversation. Perfect, yeah. And what
2: about if it's somebody who's in a monogamous relationship, they want to open it up, but they're afraid of bringing it up to Mm -hmm. their partner?
1: Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think the first question is, what are you afraid of? That's good. That gives us a lot of information. Are you afraid that you'll be rejected? Are you afraid that your partner will feel rejected? And the truth is that uh, rather than say like, how do I bring this up without hurting feelings? I think a better way to ask that is how do I prepare myself for the inevitable feelings that are going to come up for both of us? Um, Because those feelings, even even if the other person agrees, it's likely that there will be feelings to talk about. Um, And so, you know, thinking about doing it at a time where there's a lot of space for that aftercare that we just talked about, um, doing it in a way where you give your why your purpose behind the question. So not just like, can we do this? Because that, that's something that your partner can just project all over. And those projections are going to sound like they're not attracted to me anymore. They want to leave me. This is the first step in a breakup, yada, yada, yada. But if you can caveat that with your why and say, you know, example, like I love you so much. And um, my like desire is for us to like continue to feel really connected. And I've learned about this and it sounds like something that that like with you, I think could be really enjoyable. And I want to know, you know, like your reaction to that. That's such a different, you know, that's such a different runway, um, that I think sets the partner up for success in their response. Um, and then I think also just knowing that a partner's first response may not be their second, third or fourth response and mm-hmm. not to necessarily walk away from the first conversation thinking that like there, there may not be room later. it's not to say that if you get a no, you push that no, but it is to say that like, usually if you're approaching the conversation, you've had quite a while to think about it. Your partner may just be thinking about it for the first time. And so even maybe having at the ready, some resources of, of, uh, whether it's books, articles, uh, influencers, whatever, that your partner could engage with uh, in their process of making a decision that could be helpful.
2: And do not watch uh, season two of The L Word Generation Q. Yeah, definitely don't do that. Yeah. Uh, I had rewatched that episode uh, somewhat recently. And I'm like, wow, it couldn't be yuckier the way that Alice reacted to that. Being like, oh, only bad people are polyamorous. Okay, Uh, but also you're dirty. Like, Well, yeah, it it was a two-way street of awful. Not good on either side equated it to bisexuality it's the same exact thing as bisexuality yeah <laughs> uh, it was Mm-mm. the worst conversation um possible which is <laughs> great love that that's our show oh, um
3: <laughs> that's our one show that's the one
2: <laughs> do you think that societal views on non-monogamy are changing
1: yeah oh yeah for sure okay um Yeah. I mean, I think that non-monogamy is a word that five years ago, most of us wouldn't even have been able to like give any type of definition for maybe swingers we would have, but non-monogamy. No. Um, and so not only are we evolving in just our recognition of that word, um, but there's, you know, more nuanced language developing to describe the different kinds of non-monogamy. So it's not just I'm monogamous or I'm not, but just like, you know, just like the LGBTQIA plus to us, you know, umbrella is like ever expanding such is the non-monogamy umbrella. Um, mm-hmm. and I think it's been incredibly empowering for people. It can be so empowering for people to find really specific language. That's like exactly what it is that they feel. Yeah. Um, and that just wasn't, wasn't readily available to people even two years ago. Right. right. Yeah. Yet it still feels like this
2: thing like our co workers can't know. Um, like, like, you yes. don't, I can't yes. think of who's a, a politician mm-hmm. except for the one, you know, the Congress, the bisexual Congresswoman in California who yeah. resigned. It uh, would be a scandal. <laughs> it's a scandal. It, it's, it's right. a scandal. So you don't know anybody who's like like a successful person in society other than like
1: Will and Jada. I was S- just gonna say the <laughs> one is our one, yeah. Couple.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I mean that's a great point. I was sort of speaking out of the bubble that I've come to live in. But when right. you get out of that bubble, yeah, you realize that um, yeah, I mean, there are people decades behind in their understanding of this. Um, and so I think people who are non monogamous can sometimes feel really compartmentalized in the places in their life they're allowed to, as your experience saying, the places in their life they're allowed to engage that way and places where they have to remind themselves, don't say anything that might clue them in that I sleep with multiple people. Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. Cause I, I was trying to think of, you know, what has been my experience with this throughout mm-hmm. my life. And I, I remember when I was in my, like mid twenties and going out and being introduced to this couple. And someone was like, Oh yeah, by the way, they're in an open marriage. I was like, and automatically I saw the dude as creepy. Mm.
1: And then
2: I was like, well, what's wrong with them? You yeah. know? And those were my first thoughts. I'm like, why were those, my thoughts. And then like other people I started to knew, I was like, oh, they're just like really into sex. They're just like sex crazy and can't get enough. And like those things, like I never identified with. I'm not like, yeah, that's not,
1: that's not non-monogamy. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So th- those were my <laughs> associations. And then I always had like a negative thing. And then once I actually like explored like what it really meant, it changed, but it just seems like, we we are in this bubble of like Brooklyn queer, yes, uh, yes. yeah. You know. interact with like a lot of creative folks. So that's why at one point I'm like, man, I feel like half the people I know are
1: non-monogamous,
2: but I'm like, oh yeah, oh that's my, my bubble.
1: Do you ever forget where you are and say something that would be like really funny to your group of friends, but like you're like in a corporate setting and everyone's looking at you like, what the fuck? Foreign language yeah yeah <laughs> it's like yeah it's it's a lot of energy yeah yeah uh
3: i think things are changing for sure but i always think about how like gen z and gen alpha even um are coming oh out Is so that soon thing? that's I've what they're never called. heard of it well,
1: oh God. breaking news yeah for- i'm we gonna we have nightmares out three tonight. people on here
3: <laughs> Yeah, alpha. We're going to go alpha beta after that, I think. And I I know that because I had to Google it because I was talking on FaceTime to my girlfriend's niece who's in middle school and would fall into that generation. Um, And I had to Google what this generation was because the way she was talking to us about sexuality, she's in the sixth grade and was just like... um, Like, were you, did you know you were gay in middle school? Um, Because a lot of my friends do. Like, she's in sixth grade and it's like, I don't think I'm bi, but, you know... Uh, most of the girls like everyone thinks they're by in middle school right she said that oh and we were gosh. like what the fuck um, alien alien yeah and she started talking about a friend of hers um who's non-binary and she was like trying like telling us about they them pronouns which was so cute oh um and i was just thinking about how like younger and younger these kids are um, coming into their own, recognizing their sexual orientation, gender orientation. But I'm like, are they thinking about their relationship orientation as much? Like, are these middle schoolers mm-hmm. polyamorous and mm-hmm. passing notes to
1: multiple people? <laughs> <laughs> Is that, yeah, that does sound like sixth grade polyamory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just so. I don't know. Uh, I I clearly don't curious. know anything about this generation yet. But uh. But yeah. My Fascinated. guess is. My guess is yeah. They sure will. And oh, I don't know what will happen when you map high school on top of non-monogamy. Maybe yeah, really right? beautiful things. Hard in my schema to like hard yeah hard to imagine. Maybe euphoria is in some ways like getting. <laughs> Oh my us God. Our, I know that might be the best example we have with uh Jules, who is yeah. uh, pretty much non monogamous the whole time. Yeah, yep, yep, love it. I mean, I am
2: remembering my first relationship in kindergarten. Was it poly um, It was, yeah, <laughs> my boyfriend Jacques, it was in Montreal, uh, and my friend Lisa, and Jacques would like uh sit in between the both of us and hold both of our hands oh whenever we did like circle time oh my gosh and we just accepted it i was like oh it's so cool that jacques is in love with both me and my best friend lisa See, i want to write
3: a children's book about yeah that's very wholesome
2: <laughs> it was very wholesome yeah
3: <laughs> that's cute
2: uh, yeah and we we'll didn't see. even have to have those conversations around it. It was just so natural. <laughs> God, those are the best. <laughs> so what are some resources that you would recommend for people who are interested in mm-hmm. learning more?
1: Yeah, I'll do a book and an Instagram account. Um, book would be PolySecure. Really phenomenal. Uh, new as of like maybe a year and a half ago. Uh, great at looking at the intersection of non-monogamy and attachment style, um, and and in a queer inclusive book. And then Instagram count uh, polyamorous while Asian. Really fantastic intersectional work around non-monogamy. Um, they are a solo polyamorous person, but they explore you know the ins and outs of the different kinds. Those would be my nice. top two.
2: On it. Great. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> um i mean melody did you have anything
3: no i learned so much okay
2: oh good
3: <laughs> i can only learn so much a day i made it sound like <laughs> <laughs> you're at capacity maxed out in the old <laughs> noggin i'm good
2: <laughs> and casey if people aren't following you already where can they follow you on social media
1: yeah social would be at uh, queer sex therapy um, and if, you know, if you're listening and it feels like this is something you want to explore in therapy, I also, uh, run a therapy practice and we work with folks all over the world and that's the Perfect. Great.
2: I was just going to ask, are you able to take on new clients? I feel
1: like <laughs> me, no,
2: <You're>
1: me, <laughs> no, but, but uh, other people uh, in the group. we've got 20 therapists, I think at this point who are ready to go.
3: Love it. Great. Love The name.
2: Yes. Thank you. Casey, thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. I love it. Yeah, I loved
1: I learned things too today. Thank you. Hell yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I really had every intention of not talking about myself during that, but it really was. I know you actually did. And another thing. (laughs) (laughs) The floodgates were opened. I have so many thoughts about non-monogamy now. So I just feel like it, it was like drinking from a, a fire hydrant um, since I started this this journey. Yeah. One of our patrons uh, have said they love my character arc. Oh, uh, I on this saw pod. that. And I was like, <laughs> are they talking
3: about... They said on the show, I was like, "What show? Is there a Carolyn character on a show we've been talking about?" No, they're no, talking no, no, about no, no. Carolyn my Berger's, yeah, character arc. over I mean, the I, last several months,
2: I feel like my character arc like breaks the rules of character arcs in that I've changed too much. There's mm-hmm. been too, you know, you're supposed to stay fundamentally unchanged. Wait for How the second season. I just um, have really transformed, and I, I'm happy with it. I'm happy with wow. where I'm at, and that's what's important. You sound polysecure. <laughs> I do. I, I'm feeling very polysecure. Got to get that book. Yes. I did actually, after uh, this interview, downloaded the audiobook because Cecilia and I, we like to listen to it together. It's a little bit hard to like read a book at the same time. Uh, And so we listened to it on long car rides and we haven't had one in a while. So we'll be listening to that in tandem and having all the conversations because that's like 90 percent of non monogamy is mm-hmm. talking about it anyway. Anyway, this question has nothing to do with that. Shall we get to it? We shall. OK. So
3: I came out to my mom. Pretty religious Catholic. A few weeks ago, and she was completely shocked and didn't have a great reaction, which I expected. She came to me multiple times over the next few days in tears, asking a lot of questions and making me wonder if coming out was a good idea. Since then, she keeps asking when I'm going to tell my dad. I'm dreading that because he's more homophobic than my mom. For example, he won't listen to Harry Styles because he thinks that Harry is gay and that all he hears when he listens to his songs is, quote, homo. Ugh. Now, I
2: was going to edit that out, but I feel like that's such an interesting detail that no, I had to keep it in.
3: It helps paint the picture. It paints quite the picture. Yeah, we I, That's all I need to know. Right. Um. Okay, <laughs> it makes me feel guilty because my mom hates keeping things from my dad. And I know that I'm adding to her stress, but I don't think I'm ready and I'm not sure if I'll ever be ready. Do I rip off the bandaid and get it over with or should I wait?
2: Oh, and I see it makes me feel guilty that Catholic guilt. It never goes away. That is definitely right off the bat. You shouldn't feel guilty. It's not your fault that your mom isn't handling this well. Mm, yeah. uh, it's not really your burden if your mom can't do what a supportive parent would do uh, a supportive parent would be accepting even if they don't understand it they would be accepting and they would maybe help you out like maybe they would tell the dad knowing that that would be very hard for you to do you know right uh i know i told my mom to tell my dad not that i didn't want to necessarily tell my dad or I was afraid of it but I just felt like more comfortable at the time I don't know it it, those just weren't the kinds of conversations I had with my dad so once my mom knew I'm like please tell him and yeah do that labor for me yeah (laughs) Yeah, so a lot of
3: people do that Um, yeah there's a case for waiting to come out to a certain person or sure right like, yeah, it's if your safety's on the line, if your shelter is on the line. Right. And you are relying on your parents still so much. And like if it's a case where they would like kick you out or something, I would support someone waiting to come out for sure.
2: Right. I guess it's a little bit more complicated, though, because it's like the mom already knows. So, you know, that it's going to come out eventually right I I mean first off very proud of you for doing that and coming out to your mom even knowing that that was probably scary and that she's um very religious and probably not gonna get it so kudos for you there you're already um you know very brave to do that sometimes people can surprise you you know that it he seems more homophobic. I, I don't know. I, I was watching uh the show for the first time. Sister Wives. Terrible show. <laughs> Terrible show. But what uh what piqued my interest is that it so it's about a speaking of non monogamy, it's about a <laughs> polygamist family. <laughs> there you go. Right. In uh I guess they were in Utah. At the point I'm watching it, they're they're in Vegas and The one, I guess, like the original sister wife um, has one daughter and that daughter is gay and she comes out to her mom on the show. And the episode I watch is where she's introducing her mom to her girlfriend for the first time and that she also asks her mom and one of the other sister wives to go do the women's march in Washington where they're holding signs that say, like, love is love. And Mm. The you're watching the sister wives try to like explain to the husband why they want to go and support the daughter. And they don't understand it. And like this guy, he's so uneasy about the about the whole thing. And like there's there's a way for religious people to come around. I'm like, if this sister wife, if Mary Brown can make peace with it enough to like fly to Washington DC with her lesbian daughter and their partner. You know, it gives me hope. It gives me hope. I don't know. So, um, maybe watch that episode with your mom. Maybe watch that episode with your mom and be like, it doesn't mean you have to necessarily agree with it. I wish you would one day, but like, maybe seeing other people who also seem like very religious and seeing how they accept and and deal and support and then do the communicating to <laughs> the dad yeah can make the conversation go a little bit easier i cannot believe i'm recommending that anybody watch sister wives but... i'm in shock <laughs> that's my thing <laughs> ascribing
3: Different reality TV episodes to big life decision questions. Um, Again,
2: the character arc, it's... Yeah. Wow. I've come a long way. Why
3: can't their mom help and come out, like, yeah. be there when right. they come out to their dad?
2: Right. Right? It's almost like you do have, like, a little bit of a bargaining chip <laughs> with your mom because... What your mom, your mom wants your dad to know. So you can say, I'm willing to, to tell him, but I need your support. Right. And talk about what that support looks like and see if your mom can rise to the occasion. So. If you can have those conversations with your mom, then I would say then rip off the band-aid and do it. But don't just do this thing that's gonna be painful and very hard and uncomfortable for you without any support or commitment from your mom. Because as the person who birthed you, she really needs to to have your back, even if she doesn't understand it. Right. You know, this week.
3: There was, um, in Germany, like a hundred LGBTQ Catholic church officials had a mass coming out. Mm. I don't know. Look into, like, what's going on with, in the gay Catholic world. Yeah. Like, try to make as many bridges and connections as possible. I hate that we have to do that in reminding people of our humanity. But
2: it could help. Is this helpful or crazy? I'll talk to your mom. <laughs> I know. I'm willing. I'm honestly willing if you think it'd be helpful. You were raised Catholic? Yeah, I I was raised Catholic. I've talked to priests about it. Um, you know, I've had religious not conservatively religious family members, but um, you know, I'm I'm familiar with it and maybe hearing it from somebody who's like a little bit older who has like more experience with it can help kind of calm some of her her fears and it might be easier for her to hear it coming from someone else if that's a thing I'm I'm willing to do that so um or not I don't know but just in the moment this feels right to put that out there but don't write in a listener question asking me to like break up with your girlfriend for you or anything like that. This is, this is a one time. I'll do that. Yeah. (laughs) And on that note, send us your questions at dyking at gmail.com. Put listener question in the subject line and we'll add it to the queue. You should be following us on all the platforms. We're at diking out and, Please, please follow me. I would be so happy if you would do that. At TGI Carolyn. Follow me if you want. It's okay. I'm at Melody Kamali. I me? want you to follow Melody Kamali. Do that Thank first. you. If you're only going to follow one of us. Stop it, Carolyn. I don't know. I... I think your Instagram's more interesting than mine it's it's a better follow but you know it, what does it cost? I really you do to the stories
3: I'm all up on the story gotta move things more permanent moving right. things to the grid
2: I haven't had anything on the grid since Jenna Lyons and that was early December I'm like I have to wait until a professional photographer takes my picture again and we'll be doing that very we'll soon we'll be doing that so yeah ooh, there's gonna be a big update on my grid uh, <laughs>
3: Cool. Thank you
2: so much for diking out with us this week. We'll see you next Tuesday.